through the darkness of future past. The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part 17 of Twin Peaks The Return. Yes. The first of two back-to-back episodes of this podcast discussing the final episodes. Yep, we recorded both of them. So if you're hearing this one, look inside of whatever uh, app or program or whatever you use to listen to podcasts and you can download part 18 now as well and listen to that back to back with this. Yeah. So before we get into part 17 specifically, I feel like we should reflect a little bit on the experience of having watched both of these episodes and with Twin Peaks as we know it so far concluded again. So we'll do that and then we'll circle back around. Sounds good. Uh, Jake, where are you how are you feeling? How are you fe- feeling in this post-the-return world? I'm feeling good. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed watching 17 and 18, even though I was incredibly confused and sort yeah. of upset through the entire entirety of it. But here we are a couple days later, and the episodes have done nothing but grow on me. And like I've, my appreciation for them has actually increased over time the longer that they've sat with me. I also went and did a thing I've never done this season and rewatched them before doing this podcast. And that was also a great experience. Yeah. So like I'm... I'm still confused as all hell, but I really, really liked how Twin Peaks closed out. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I Even in the short time since these episodes aired, my memory of them is is rising in estimation in my, in my mind, um, which I have to imagine is kind of how it must have felt for a lot of people with the original series finale of Twin Peaks if they were if they watched it as it aired yeah. which must have seemed must have seemed absolutely infuriating yes. and baffling um but i think has gained I, I think has largely and i think correctly regarded as an absolutely incredible yeah. finale of that show and honestly it seems like that, that sort of happened to fire walk with me for many people as well although yeah. fire walk with me may have taken decades to sort of rise up but because we're ta- going to talk about these two episodes separately um, this seems like as appropriate a time as any to kind of share my really stupid and pithy reaction to these two episodes, okay. which in, in, in a lot of ways feel like two different finales to me. Mm-hmm. They almost feel like two alternate reality finales for how Twin Peaks The Return could have wrapped up, uh-huh. depending on the, the sort of emotional um, valence that you want to assign to what The Return has been about or anything else. And uh, Twin Peaks The Return Part 17, to me, weirdly almost felt like a finale of Twin Peaks Season 2, not just the ending of Twin Peaks Season 2, but also all of the other insanity and bizarre threads that spin out to nothing right, that happen all throughout season two. All of the madness was secretly a brilliant clockwork puzzle that resolved to, de- to defeat Bob 
uh, right. and send him straight to hell. Right. And yeah. some of it didn't, right? I mean, some sure. of these characters, what, like, what does red add up to? I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, a lot. there are a lot of, I mean, just honestly, there are a lot of plot threads and characters There's... in Twin Peaks The Return that, as far as I can tell, don't go anywhere, at least not anywhere that's related to the plot. Right. There's there's going to be at least one spinoff novel about Red, like, eating <laughs> coins right. and making coins reappear, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that. But Yeah. Uh, where And then Twin Peaks The Return Part 18 felt to me almost like a standalone sequel. I mean, could, could could almost treat it as a standalone sequel to the world of Twin Peaks as represented in Firewalk With Me. I I can't state definitively, definitively whether this is true because I can never unwatch anything I've already seen, but I suspect it would be not... I mean, without... Without much more confusion than there already than you already would have now, having seen everything, you could probably watch Twin Peaks and then Firewalk with Me and then just Twin Peaks: The Return Part Eighteen, and it would probably feel pretty like a. It would probably make about as much sense as it does now. You disagree. I That's do, good. I'm glad you disagree because I want to hear. I I do disagree. I don't know if it's worth getting into in extreme detail right now, but I think I think if you watch Twin Peaks Part Eighteen without watching especially part 17 uh-huh. your context and you know I mean and then also just bits through the entire back half of the season but especially 17 I think that your context for what it means for what agent Cooper is going through means would be lost that's true that's I, actually a really good point I think, that is I think agent undeniable. Cooper's, Cooper's yeah. journey sort of the return yeah like no, you're totally right. Like Cooper is the is the. Th- I mean, I'm sure that my opinion is Agent silly. Cooper is the one. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure that my opinion is silly in a number of ways, but I think Cooper most sign- in that respect is most significantly. Um, I guess so. I guess I'm, but I'm like aesthetically and my, from an almost yeah, untethered guess, emotional standpoint, right. this feels so so much like yeah. Like you could almost have a needle skip over a ton of this season and drop right into the, into 18 from Firewalk with Me. Yeah. It would it got back to that place in a way that was like. Uh, really powerful. Yeah, let's um, let's talk start about. Oh, one one other it. thing, just oh, about sure. about seventeen and eighteen, and about TV show endings and whatever else. Seventeen and eighteen in aggregate may have managed to encompass the majority of high concept TV show ending conceits collectively between them. <laughs> yeah, like any. Sure. If you want, you're lost. You're Breaking Bad. Even your Saint Elsewhere. We got it in yep. the Twin Peaks finale. Waking up from dreams. Everyone getting murdered. Like weird. Yeah. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like just whatever. Every TV <laughs> what show. At the end of that? Oh, just weird demon flame orbs mm. getting punched by superhero teens. Weird. Okay, I didn't know. I mean, not literally. At a, that. Not, not literally so that. That level of. Bombast the, and that, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, like just the aesthetic of it. That, yeah. Oh, that cheesy Bob yeah, Orb. Anyway, yeah. it was surprising to me that the ending also may have kind of been a structural, a structural riff on basically just what TV shows do when they end, all just like sh- piled on top of each other, yeah. almost literally one after the other. Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, part so, one, part seventeen. Yeah. This episode of Twin Peaks was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on September 3rd, 2017. What happened this week, Chris? Uh, On this episode of Twin Peaks, everyone returns to Twin Peaks. Dale Cooper leaves Twin Peaks, and Pete Martell goes fishing. (laughs) That's about what happened. That's about what happened. There's a lot more that happened, but we're going to just talk about it now. Uh, So this episode opens... With Gordon, Albert, and Preston, I've realized, by the way, over the course of this season, I sort of 
completely almost at random switch up whether I call Gordon Gordon or Cole and whether I call Preston Tammy or Preston. Whereas <laughs> yep. Albert, I never call him, what is it, Rosenfield? Yeah, I think so. Ever. He's always no. just Albert. Yeah. So anyway, Gordon, Albert, and, and Preston uh, are receiving a lore dump. They are receiving from, from Gordon. It's such an intense lore dump, and Gordon Cole, not sorry, not Gordon Cole. David Lynch almost feels like he's having <laughs> none of it. Like he seems tired, but in a way that feels like David Lynch, the man, does not really. It's given the, <clears throat> the dynamism of David Lynch's performance as Gordon Cole, I- including like when he's having really intense conversations about things that he thinks are meaningful, like most memorably the one with Albert outside of that diner uh, in, out in uh, Buckhorn, I guess it was. Yeah. This is just like, okay, so I've been keeping information from you. There's a thing called you Judy. So? It's an it evil force. It comes right after he makes a dick joke. I know. That's why it all just feels like, <laughs> you've gone soft, not where it counts, buddy. Anyway... There's this evil being that we've been keeping huh. from you for 25 years. It totally didn't right. play for I me. It felt it felt like it was just like a sort way. of slow fart of this information that I felt like David Lynch was just like I, I got to get it out. It's just, hard. Yeah, it's hard for me to separate. It's hard for me to to control for my own reaction to information like that, which is that it is the least interesting part of either of these episodes for yeah. me. And so I don't really know how much of my reaction to it is actually being conveyed in Lynch's performance and how much is just me not really being into the idea that actually for decades we've been totally aware of this force called Judy or Jodi and or whatever it was and actually Cooper knew yeah. about this too and it was it was an underwhelming start to this episode because I I didn't entirely care about it although later on I think it informs sort of Cooper's maybe misguided intentions in a way yeah. that I think is interesting but yeah. It's information that feels like an aggressive, aggressive retcon, which it clearly is, and it was delivered with that sort of David Lynch sometimes directs actors that have a very flat effect to the point that there's no reading inside of it, and he obviously directed himself to have that. So it's information that sounds like it should be important, but is basically irreconcilable with the plot as I understand it. Like, how did Cooper and Major Briggs and Gordon work on this together unless it was bad Coop, unless it was Mr. C, unless it was totally just obscured from camera, because Gordon, right. sure, because uh, Briggs and Cooper and Cole only ever knew each other during the time we've seen on screen. You know, then he says, then Briggs disappeared, then Cooper disappeared. It that that all doesn't track. Also, there's nothing you can do with any of the information that you're being told. And also, Gordon Cole is delivering it in the most monotone, boring voice. So even he's not infusing it with energy or yeah. like any emotion that he has about I it. I mean, I wonder if that's because this kind of information is difficult to convey. Like, just big chunks of exposition like this yeah. are difficult to convey in general. And I think if you aren't actually an actor by trade and yes. are not used to this kind of thing, it might honestly be sort of above his Then maybe it's abilities. the writing, because like, they didn't write Albert just saying, what? And like asking right. a question, or yeah. they didn't turn yeah, yeah, the conversation yeah. into Albert saying, Gordon, you withheld this information to me for 25 years. He just sort of, Albert says, um, Cole, he says, I know you understand Albert, but I'm still sorry. Like, yeah, that was good. But the rest of that scene was just, yep. like, just a steamroller sort of slowly laying down. Mm-hmm flat lore so uh, alright so but then then we get a call from Bushnell Mullins is that what you're saying yeah you t- you're talking about the other stuff yeah, with, th- yeah. No, then we get a call from Vegas FBI mm-hmm. 
Sadly, not yelling incessantly, but still <laughs> excited that they found uh, Dougie jo- Douglas Jones. Yeah. So we get we uh, Belchanel gets on the line with Cole and says, "I'm headed for Sher." He gives him this message that Cooper mm-hmm. gave him to deliver to Cole and says, uh, "I'm headed for Sheriff Truman. It's two fifty three in Las Vegas, and that adds up to ten. The number of completion." And uh, Cole says, "Dougie is Cooper. How the hell is this?" Yeah, man. Then, yeah. Then another gratuitous. This all felt a little gratuitous, but whatever. Albert and Preston then outlining all of the wacky hijinks that Cooper have had, uh, and it's a it's a Blue Rose case for sh- for sure or whatever. Uh, one important note, since we've been really into all the FBI bullshit in the background of all of these scenes, the thing, the screen behind Gordon Cole in this episode is maybe like. Maybe my favorite Twin Peaks on-screen graphic that is meant to communicate anything. Like, all of the, all of this FBI busy work bullshit in the background. <laughs> the screen behind Gordon Cole is literally just documents being, like, a full picture of a document slowly being scanned top to bottom, then shrinking down to arrange itself into a collection of larger documents. And this is just happening on loop. There's just, like... I don't even know what it means. Like oh, I don't even remember. I didn't it, even know. Just if you look behind Gordon Cole, it looks like they're just. It just he has a screensaver of just information being scanned, or received, and collated. <laughs> uh, All of the production design surrounding Gordon Cole has been very good. Yeah, this season. And they they ended on a strong note with just a meaningless infographic of of information pages. A, a lot of the this early stuff in this episode is cross cut a lot. So in general. What happens next is this convergence on the sheriff's station between a few different characters. Do you want to talk about Bad Coop? Yeah. Heading there? Let's start yeah. with Bad Coop. So he, so Bad Coop, apparently, um, we were talking about this before the episode, and presumably what's happening is he is chasing down the other set of coordinates, the yeah. third set of coordinates. It seems to lead him to Jackrabbit's Palace. Right. Yeah. Right. It seems like he's expecting there to be a vortex there and to enter into it. He ends up in a place he doesn't expect. We don't know where he specifically intended yeah. to go. You were you were speculating it might have been Sarah Palmer's house. Yeah, that was my my implication. The implication for me was that he was that he was going. Man, this could sidetrack very rapidly into what I think all the things are. <laughs> but my my. Feeling was that maybe he was going to Sarah Palmer's house, possibly in an attempt to kill her, possibly because that bug that went into that little girl that came out of the giant uh, space mother thing with the horns Mm -hmm. is inside of Sarah Palmer. And maybe that is Judy. Maybe Judy is the big blob that gives birth to Bob and sort of comes to Earth in the nuclear explosion. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's I just bonked it. Why does why would Bad Coop care about killing her? I don't know. Yeah, I maybe because it would be the thing that would prevent him from going back into the Black Lodge. Sure, maybe governs a lot of the mechanics of this world. Who knows? I only thought that his intention was to go to the Palmer House because he seemed to be reasonably self assured with everything that was happening up until. You know, he he's for some reason he's holding that little rock, which I thought was funny when he goes and the, the whatever the vortex opens. He ends up in the cage. He ends up in the movie theater with the fireman yeah. slash giant. I yeah. don't know if he intended to go into the cage or not. I can't tell. Yeah. But um, I kind of assumed he got intercepted, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, mainly because we know the fireman is working against him. Yes. Explicitly. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's tough to know all. Ex- yeah. He ends up in the cage. You see 
the Jackrabbit's Palace area on on the movie screen in that in that old theater. Then it flips to the Palmer House. Yeah. And my assumption was that that was his intent was Bad Coop's intended destination. Oh, but then the fireman because changes because the fireman it. looks at it, look, it gives sort of an inscrutable look, and then does yeah. like an iPad swipe gesture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, on his on the giant has a giant iPad. If you're wondering, uh, yeah. it's what he uses. Um, I kind of like that. I sort of simultaneously don't like it, unlike it. I aesthetically don't like it because it reminds me of modern technology, and it just seems weird in the context of that. But paradoxically, for the exact same reason, I like it. Because there is an implication, I think, that these places, right? This mm-hmm. that that room, the the red room, the the other, the purple one, like all yeah. these different places. There's, I think, an implication that those places are outside of space and time. They are right. timeless, right? So just so why should they be tethered to one exact moment in human history? Right. If it's that sort of, if that metaphor exists at any time, at then any it's time fine in for human history, it. Yeah. right? It makes sense for it. To be able to con- to theoretically exist yeah. in that room, I I don't know I I, I kind of liked it. But he he swipes in his in his photos app basically the Palmer House out of the way and it sort of motion blurs out and then resolves to be an ambiguous shot of trees mm-hmm. and then then uh, Bad Coop is released from that cage and disappears up through the same little ball mechanism that we saw the Laura Orb go into in episode eight, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the um, Mr. C shows up in the sheriff's station, or in the, he shows up in that wooded area, looks a little bit confused, yeah. turns around, and it turns out that he had just been placed facing right. 180 degrees in the sheriff's department. And then he yep. says, "What is this?" Yep. So it seems like that's why I thought maybe he was aiming for the Palmer House, but then the giant or the fireman diverted him and then and then sent him on his way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, Cooper, Mr. C, Bad Coop, whatever, also. Inside of that cage, he it goes from his face to like a weird like furry beast, which doesn't make any like just like a weird like tree hair puff <laughs> before he disappears into the globe. Don't know why. Hmm. Just I noticed that the second time I watched it, and we just said, "What the hell? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what the hell?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's still hard for me to entirely divine his specific intentions, but it's my yeah. my read on it was that he ended up you know, at the, the sheriff's department and then just sort of decided to make the best of it. So here's a just a general observation. Mm-hmm. We so we over the course of episodes seventeen and eighteen, we have three different Coopers. I mean, we've had two Coopers for for a while now. Mm-hmm. More, I mean, there's more depending on what you count as a Cooper, but it doesn't matter. Sure, there's like there's actual Dougie than Cooper. Yeah. living Dougie's for, life. Right. right, but for 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 my purposes right now, I'm talking about the ones that identify as Cooper. Right, right, like consciously. So you have you have what we understand is good Coop, bad Coop. And then you have what I'm counting as a third different one in episode, in part 18, which is sort of Richard Cooper. I, I don't mean to say that's actually his name, but like the Cooper who is identified so by Diana after, Richard. After things might change, basically. Yeah. And I, I, so we'll talk about this more in episode 18 uh, discussion, part 18 discussion. Um, I sort of interpret the Richard one as being an amalgam of Cooper and his doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows if that's ex- actually phys- like metaphysically what's going on. But- I think one of the things that parts 17 and 18 um, really drove home for me is that there's there really is a lot in common between all of these Coopers, even though emotionally they are very different. They have very different sort of human levels of human warmth, right? Cooper, Dale Cooper, Special Agent Dale Cooper is an incredibly warm person, and we see that all over 
episode 17, you know, he's and 16. He's back in action. He's so excited to be around people. He loves interacting with people. He's generous and warm-hearted and, and loves being around. But he's also, and we know this from the duration of Twin Peaks across all of its seasons, he's also an inveterate problem solver and someone who works constantly through intuitive means and um, uses his intuition to solve problems compulsively as just a deep, deep, deep instinct and desire of his, mm-hmm. um, which is not how necessarily everyone in the, that we see in the FBI works. Not that they aren't trying to solve problems, but it's not that Cooper, like, instinctive, constant, like, always must be fixing things, right. solving problems. And I think in parts 17 and 18, we see that, I, at least I was reminded that Bad Coop throughout this whole season has that exact same instinct. It just doesn't come paired with the human warmth or the generosity right. of spirit. He's not he's not doing it out of a desire to like to feel like he's helping people. No, exactly. He's not doing it out of compassion, um, but it is still absolutely an intrinsic part of his personality and his instincts. And then even this third version of Dale Cooper that we get this sort of amalgam between Cooper and Doppelganger Cooper um, still has that exact same instinct, I think. He's mm-hmm. constantly pushed to fix things, even when we, I think it is suggested that it has had disastrous results, um, you know, because because his instinct is works faster than than any other sort of ability to yes. gauge uh, and, I mean, you outcome. Know, with, with bad Cooper, his self- his instinct to be always solving problems is nakedly for self-interest. Mm-hmm. And I think that later, uh, 17 and 18 are postulating that there might be more self-interest in it for all Coopers than one might think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we'll talk about that more in part, yeah. in part 18. Why did I bring that up just now? Oh, because, oh, <laughs> the reason I brought it up just now is because I think you don't, we don't necessarily need to know exactly every single little mechanic of what happens with why, oh, where's Bad Coop exactly trying to go? And like, what does yeah. it mean that he did this and he got sent here instead? I mean, I think in a general sense, it dovetails very well and appropriately into this generalized he's working from intuition he's constantly trying to move forward he's constantly trying to fix a problem right you know it's through that through that sort of trajectory into the prism of twin peaks his end goal is can basically be a macguffin it can just be a thing he's trying to do yeah i think his end goal is continue to exist in a broad sense right i think we understand that generally throughout this season um and then the specific mechanics of how he does it we might not understand all of them, but also we didn't really understand why Dale Cooper in season one of Twin Peaks drew the lines he did. He would he would yeah. take pretty big leaps of logic, um, at least according to traditional forensic, you know, investigation assumptions. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that 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 was something that just was swirling around in my head about these Coopers, mm-hmm. these various Coopers. All right. So Bad Cooper arrives at the sheriff's station. Andy sees him. So is it you? Is it you, Agent Cooper, or whatever? And he's got a, that picnic basket. Man, I that know, picnic basket looks like the one that he and Dick yeah. Tremaine had for their yeah. picnic with little Nikki. Yep. Uh, I hope that it was either the same prop or ex- or uh, an re- exact yeah, recreation an of it. Because man, it looked yeah. like Andy's just yeah. held onto that picnic basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> crucial key to all of Twin Peaks. Yes. Yes. Do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, anything here? I mean. It's, you mean just it's a, it was, th- cr- it was through through him meeting Lucy and stuff. Or? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was obviously crushing to see 
Andy's joy yeah, at that, meeting this guy, knowing that I was on edge this entire scene because I was just yeah. like, "Are they going to just destroy Twin Peaks right now? Like, yeah. am I going to watch? I know is Andy going to be murdered? Yeah, I was like, just like, I am mean, I going to watch? Yeah, Cooper just like pull out a gun and shoot these characters. Be- you know, I mean, I thought then my brain started unwinding all these. Like, is it because the world is going to be unmade or who? You know, like, they would never yeah. do that. But like, holy crap, the whole time with him sitting sitting there working his way through all of the sheriff's department cast yeah it was played incredibly well to make me just freaked out yeah. about what was going to happen the entire and again time. again i think very consistent with our characterization of cooper in all forms throughout the entirety of twin peaks mm-hmm. i mean bad coop we know is a character who has absolutely no compunctions about killing people or exhibiting violent tendencies in any form however like dale cooper he is also incredibly self-confident and do- he doesn't he definitely engages in un, in violence that you'd con, one would consider in normal society to be unnecessary, but he also doesn't typically jump the gun. He's confident enough in his own abilities and sense of like physical self-preservation at least that he he is typically fully able to wait and hold his yes. cards close to his chest until he knows how he's supposed to react. Yes. Obviously that was his undoing in this particular case, but it actually, I think it makes perfect sense that he yes. w- was not aggressive to Andy or Lucy. He simply, he saw he's in a situation that he didn't expect, but might be one that he could turn to his advantage because he had more information than the people interacting with him. Yes, I agree. I mean, that, that was even conveyed from the moment that he turns around, sees the sheriff's station and says, what the hell is this? Then sort of sets the look on his face is just like, well, I'll work with this. Yeah. And then he, uh, yeah. and then he walks forward. But even though, he did not pull the trigger, and you're right that it's probably not in his character to do so. The menace that oh, Kyle McLaughlin carries with him as that absolutely. character is yes. so intense. Yes, for sure. Through that entire scene, I didn't really know what to do with myself. I was no, so I, I, was, was I was I was absolutely nerve wracking. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Ner- something happened to each of our nerves. Yeah, yeah. One was unnerved, and one was racked. Yep. Um. So yes, he uh, he makes it into the sheriff's station. He interacts with Andy and Lucy. Um, Andy, like, over the course of Bad Coop's presence in the sheriff's station, these scenes all jump around a lot, so I'm probably not talking about them in in As Cooper sits down and starts talking with Frank Truman, Andy becomes increasingly unnerved and starts... Oh, yeah, and he he offers him coffee and he doesn't want it, and I think that's like... That starts setting off what's going on. But yeah, then Andy starts remembering his visions from when he visited the Fireman's old-timey movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, It's funny what, what Andy has... I mean, we haven't spent a lot of time with Andy this season, but it's been funny that he's gotten to dip into that world of Twin Peaks, which is not something he ever even came close to. Andy has just sort of felt like the world that maybe once supported him other than Lucy is not really there. Like, oh, we've, we've, other than the times when he's with Lucy, we've basically seen Andy be incredibly concerned, like when he was chasing down the, the miss, the missing truck early in the season, or just having to be suddenly burdened with the weight of all of this crazy lodge stuff. There's, it's been a beleaguered officer Andy. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. He, he's everyone in this, all of these core characters, you feel like the weight of time has pressed down on them. And in Andy, it looks like it has, it has aged him in a way that some, some characters have, have um, come out of this, I think with almost like 
a sort of majesty of age, a sort of dignity yeah. of age. Andy, it sound, it feels like he's almost been run down by it. Yeah. Except for his relationship with his family, which is clearly what has kept him yep. functional and sane. Anyway, so he um, he at one point, I don't know. Speaking, speaking of that, when he uh, when Andy introduces Cooper to Sheriff Truman, he's so excited. And the context yeah. that he says is, we haven't seen him since before Wally was born. Like, that's yeah, like I Andy's that. little, that's like... so good, yeah. Because yeah. that's exactly how parents... That's like... Yeah. This, and then, you know, and then after, touchstone and after, that, after that meeting sort of sours is when Andy starts remembering the stuff from his trip into the lodge. Yeah, yeah. After, after, he, after he turns down the coffee and then Truman's like, you know, Cooper in the flesh, whatever. God, and then, that was creepy, though. Cooper... Cooper in yeah, the Cooper. flesh. Cooper. Yeah, yeah and him just saying in good. the flesh, and then it just cuts to yeah. Andy telling Lucy, very important, very important, and running away because it, he starts it having It technically those cuts to Chet, but Andy says to Lucy, very important, very important. And then I, I just mentioned that because later uh, Truman gets the call from Cooper. Lucy tells it to him. She, she convinces him to pick up the phone by saying it's a very important phone call. Right. So she's using the exact the same exact words. words. So I wonder if she's using that because of what, because Andy, of what Andy said. Primed her to say. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, some kind of. I mean, again, that that seems like a very in, Twin Peaksy thing. This sort of intuitive, like Andy somehow intuits that this is the proper language to use right. to like convince the situation, even though he doesn't know that he that's doesn't what he's know doing. why. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, so before we get too ahead of ourselves, do you want to talk about what's going on downstairs in the jail cells? Yeah, we should. We should talk about our old friend. Is that downstairs? Yeah, it is downstairs. It is downstairs. Yeah. 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 Our old friend, uh, Deputy Chad. Our old friend, Chad. Our old shitty friend, Chad. Did I Chad. say Chet before? I, I wrote w- down Chet a bunch of times, but I know it's Chad. <laughs> our, I want him to be Chet Our so old badly. friend, Special uh, Agent Chet Desmond. Yeah. I mean, Deputy Chad shithead. <laughs> yeah. He's he's Chad to me now, Chris. He'll never be Chet. He'll never sully the name of Chet. Yeah. No, he's a Chad. Uh, yes. So he's he's got this, like... I don't. I didn't quite understand this. Not that it really matters. It doesn't. It's not important relative to anything else in this episode. I wasn't quite sure why it was just important that the bloody guy didn't see what he was doing. Aren't they all in cells that are all trend? Like you can see through all the cells. Yeah, why wouldn't I, Freddie and James? I did not be understand. Able to see what he was doing. Why, yeah. Why? Why Chad waited until the echoing bleeding guy was asleep before deciding to escape? Who's to say? Yeah. No one else seemed to care, so maybe they didn't have line of sight for some reason, but... But even if the guy did see him, what was he going to do about it? Right. Would he just start making key and lock noises? He's been making noise the whole time. It's not as though him making noise then is going to draw someone downstairs. The motivation for that didn't didn't make sense, but whatever. It turns out that... Also, literally nothing that Chet... Chad... Chad, sorry, he's sorry, Chad. Sorry. How has this come back? Chris, you've entered you've fallen into another I'm, world I'm in, where I, his name is Chad. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> um I uh In the Twin Peaks rewatch verse, he's always been uh Chet. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe like explain what I'm missing. None of this Chad stuff really makes any difference to anything because I mean, I, I understand that Freddie. It all like, just orchestrates, oh, like, sort of perfectly timed things so that Andy is there to unlock everyone from their cells and take yeah, them up. Yeah, but Andy already intended to do that, didn't he? I can't. I guess so. I mean, he says we have to get you all upstairs. Like he, pr- I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it seems like this was all there just to make you feel just good about a, a moment happened. But yeah, yeah know, it, it could have really literally it. been. I don't know. Yeah. 
the the whole thing with the guy like Chad is instantly foiled anyway. So there's not like there's no <laughs> right. Chad Chad gets out. Yeah, he's he through his little secret key that he's had the entire time. Yeah, sneaks past a bunch of people who don't care about the fact that he's doing that. Yeah, threatens to shoot Andy and degrades Andy. Andy doesn't save the day. Freddie does by punching the door open into Chad's face. Right. Uh, I also, do- worth noting in this scene, or I don't know if I don't remember what specific like shot it was, sure. but uh, in this general collection of sort of characters and scenes, a uh, bloody guy peels off his own wounds. Yeah, but just, it happens. He d- he does, but there's just more wounds. There's underneath. just more wound underneath. He's just peeling a scab yeah. off of a wound. Just, yeah. Also, it's worth pointing out, just to be clear, that we do understand that on top of those wounds, there were bandages <laughs> that were also removed. He removed way too many layers of his own like wound to be comfortable, because then there was just like a gross festering thing on his cheek that he yeah. started picking at. I have to say, the, the presence of that character and the lack of any resolution or explanation of his presence in the jail really reflects, I think, quite poorly on the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. That guy should be in a hospital. Yes. Right? He should not be have leaking open wounds that, that in a jail, jail cell. That, the entire state of that jail cell is basically a disaster yeah. right now. We have a woman with, like... She should probably also... As far as face. they're concerned, she should probably also be in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, we as the viewers figure it's some other supernatural thing, but, like, they don't know uh, that. It's just... A guy who can't take a glove off because it's part of his skin. A woman with what looks like stab wounds in her face over a growth that has covered her eyes. And a man profusely bleeding from multiple places on his face. Yeah. Probably. Why are these people just sitting in jail cells untended? Uh, Why, Chris? Because they need to fight Bob. Yeah. Duh. Duh. We can tell from so the I end that, why they should have been there all along. Yeah, so oh, I guess that gets us to, to where we let's, were. We can't quite leave the jail cell yet because when Freddy punches that door open uh-huh. and it knocks Chad in the face, yeah. we get maybe the best insert shot of this episode, which is James just looking stoked. Right. Of him just like, yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, I loved it. I loved that basically the last thing we see James do on Twin Peaks is be stoked that his friend punched a guy in the face out of jail. Yeah. James reclaimed his youth a little bit as uh, what we can only assume was like a super cool greaser who liked uh, <laughs> busting out of jail. Yeah. That's all. Anyway. Yep. Uh, so that happened. And um, <laughs> also, <laughs> while these things were happening, what? Yeah. Nothing. Just recounting all of this and spending all of this time talking about this. Uh, There's a voice in the back of my head just screaming because why? Why? Yeah, maybe this will get edited down. I don't know if it will. Uh, (laughs) In the spirit of these two episodes of Twin Peaks, we're giving the correct amount of time to this content. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, upstairs, a terrifying thing is happening, which is Cooper talking to Truman. Yeah. and uh, And Which culminates in Lucy... Yes. Shooting him. Cooper is talking to Truman while on the phone, Cooper is talking to Truman. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Lucy understands cell phones and therefore knows to shoot bad Coop. Another thing that I actually don't understand why that whole cell phone thing was necessary at all to result in the exact same actions that happened. I understand the connection between her... I, like I, I get the the connection. It's another one but of it's those. Stole, ba- it's like well, obviously the payoffs there because the setup was there. Neither of those things needed to be there. The, yeah. the Lucy that we know, even if you from, understand cell phones, you could she could still have the exact same outcome from that interaction. Right. 
she, yes, even if she didn't understand cell phones. Either way. Right. No matter what, the Lucy that we've known through all of Twin Peaks, other than that cell phone scene, it would have been an interesting and amazing moment for her to have let Cooper into the sheriff's office, then get a call from clearly a different Cooper who sounds like her friend after the unnerving weird one in, right. the, in the lobby, put it together, and then made the completely insane from her, from what we know of her character, but like really meaningful decision to pick up a gun in a police department and just murder someone in cold blood. Yeah, I actually cried a little bit when that happened. It was I was so shocked. Yeah, to see him fall out of the way and see Lucy holding a gun and having basically taken a life, even though it's a weird, constructed yeah. not person, whatever the fuck, it f- fucked me up. You like, know, what it really reminded me of it. Really reminded me of Andy pulling the trigger at the drugs sting. Yeah, operation. Yeah, like, they, he, which I think that was revealed in a similar way. Where, yeah, you saw someone fall out of the way, yeah. and he was just there, and you yeah. went, "Oh no!" Yeah. But with Lucy, it was like we've like Andy has clearly now just had to sort of live in the dirt a lot more as a person in a way that he didn't in before he shot yeah. that guy. Yeah. But Lucy has always like been surrounded by all this all this crazy, you know, literally surrounded by crime. She works in a sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. And all of this sort of swirling madness of Twin Peaks has swirl, has gone has been around her, but it seems like it had never actually managed yeah, she's to almost touch been her. Ensconced in her, little yeah, her, zone. in her little like cube yeah. there, where she just sort of routes information, but yeah. ne- but it never gets to her. Man, her just having to murder someone. Yeah, I don't. I wasn't. I didn't. I would have never thought that would be something that actually like messed me up. But yeah, I was I was a wreck for a second after seeing that. So I don't know. Yep. Um, that whole scene was was really uh, really a powerful moment. Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, and 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 the, the just the lead up with with Truman on the phone, yeah. with Cooper, and then sort of staring at Bad Coop, yeah. and just everyone kind of <laughs> sizing each other up. I thought that was great. Although, to your point about this all feeling like the end of Twin Peaks season two, maybe man, when Bad Coop shot Truman, his hat leapt up into the yeah, air like a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> he had like a Yosemite Sam moment where his yeah. hat just went boop. Yeah. Yeah. What? What in the world? Yep. Also, it didn't have a bullet hole on it or anything. Like, just the air of Coop's bullet must have just gone yep. and, like, made his hat wiggle around. It created a tiny vacuum. <laughs> sucked his hair off, hat off his head. Yeah. What? Yeah, that was amazing. All of those things happening at once was so intense and good. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, just yeah. Twin Peaks is the show on which all of those things can happen at the exact same time, followed by Cooper yelling, don't touch that body into the phone, and then a bunch of woodsmen appearing and smearing blood all over mm-hmm. the place. So what did you make of that? I, because I definitely thought, I guess incorrectly, that the first time that Bob had this left. happened, that, yeah, Bob left. But it seems like Bob was actually maybe bolstered and turned into like an even more intense form. Yeah, it's weird. Because this is the second time we've seen Bad Coop get shot. Yeah. And yeah, both times that like, <laughs> synth music comes in and those guys start just like weirdly like dressing his body, yeah. but like with just muddy blood. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell. I, I, I still don't know exactly what all of that means. It seems to always sort of free Bob during the cleaning process. But this time he didn't, I guess he must have just re-gone into bad coop and we didn't see it the, first, the first time, time. Yeah, yeah. yeah this time he stayed separate and became uh Mega like a, Bob, he became like a video form. game he became a video yeah. game boss yeah yeah <laughs> you have to punch him three times yeah uh what do we say about all this stuff i don't know Jeez, louise yeah <laughs> it was shot like a, also just a hilarious schlocky 
It was shot like B movie with yeah, like crazy cameras. It was like David Lynch doing things. Sam Raimi, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it reminded me of Sam Raimi. Yeah. Yeah. It was like an yeah. Evil Dead thing with Freddy as as Ash, basically yeah. fighting a weird yeah. undead ghoul. Yep. And then literally punching him into hell. He actually punches Bob into hell before Bob comes back in even greater. In his final boss yeah, form, and then he gets yeah. punched into bits and disappears through the ceiling. Yeah. And then he even ended in like a sci-fi movie way where like Bob's parts all get shattered, but then he floats away clearly like maybe he'll return. Right. And, he, you know, they've won the battle, period. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, I mean, this isn't something that, that I, that... I thought after watching this scene, just having seen episode or part 17, but by the time I was done with part 18, I wondered if maybe the sort of hubris of trying to fix all this stuff wasn't just the stuff that Cooper did, but maybe also Freddy destroying Bob. It made me wonder if maybe Bob kind of almost got dispersed into the atmosphere not that Bob was destroyed but more that maybe he's less sort of individually potent as one coherent being but maybe his influence he's is just he's just everywhere yeah. now huh. I don't know I, I don't have any supporting evidence for that whatsoever right. but just the tone of part 18 was made it hard it made it hard for me to believe yes they vanquished the evil force yeah and no, it doesn't they, seem like what the show is concluding they, with they definitely did not I mean, I wonder. I mean, I guess, and now we know there's an even bigger. After this season, we know there's, there's like this even bigger, more monstrous, <laughs> yeah. controlling evil force yeah. of which Bob is just one offspring. Just, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> stuff is so hard. I know to grapple with yeah. in any sort of coherent way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I wondered about the sort of reality or unreality of all of this stuff, even starting with when, when. Bad Coop shows up at the sheriff's department for the first time or at the beginning of this entire sort of blob of Twin Peaks. It was the most vibrant, um, vibrantly colored thing that I felt like I had seen. Yes. It, it That's almost, another reason it, it reminded me of Twin Peaks season it, two. Yeah, it felt like almost saccharine in, in, yes, its, in, its, in its color saturation and how much they pumped yeah. it up. And yeah, it reminded me of when the aesthetic of Twin Peaks had drifted really far from Lynch and a lot more, a lot more uncontrolled just color got yep. pumped into the show yep, just, absolutely like, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah and that continued basically up through the point where we're at when yes when the Bob Orb showed up and the yeah. lighting got weird but even all of it just had just a cartoony mm-hmm. feel to it yeah definitely and it's it's hard to know you know when Bad Coop went through the little through the black and white theater with the fireman did he actually pop out in a slightly different ver- you know like like this, those episodes seventeen and eighteen. We can talk about this more when we talk about eighteen. But they've, they're pretty explicit about the fact that there is not one cohesive world present yeah. inside of the world of the show anymore. Like, I mean, we jump, we take a really hard jump into a different one in eighteen. I feel like, yeah. Um, and I don't. It's hard to know how concrete any of that is, or what the walls are, or if there are any rules to it. But it, it. I don't have any conclusions yeah. other than no, just no, like I, open open thought I, threads that came from that. No, I I totally agree. I mean, I definitely felt like the all of that stuff in part seventeen was taking all these threads from the return, which has a very dark palette for the most part, and resituating them all within the world of Twin Peaks at its most yeah. technicolor like, had, and, and had uh, vibrant. 
when Bad Coop walked into the sheriff's department, had Lucy been there with Wally Brando, right? That would have been like the most like cast yeah. in cement version of yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. "Yeah, he's there." But it basically it felt like that for yeah. so much of it. Yep. Except you know that we'd been seeing little bits of this storyline the entire time. Right. I forget where we were. Uh, well, I mean, at this point, we are, we're basically moving into Cooper's journey. I mean, I guess we can talk about, we should talk about maybe the uh, aftermath of the battle itself. Did I do it? You did it, Freddie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, which is the Mitchum that's not Bradley? Oh, man. By the way, speaking of the of Bob, like, rising from hell yeah. and then reaching his final video game form, that is, like, the the most actually appropriate take on that entirely because he even comes with his classic catchphrase uh, catch you with my death bag yep. when he like enters like when I he know. reappears it goes through his final form and like says his thing he he feels then, like he feels like an arcade game villain yes, yes. the way that like, it's like Sinis- a little like spri- star it's a little sprite art lifted from the original TV show but encased in an effect like yeah. it's just like well we only yeah. had the rights to like to the to these to little this likeness these, yeah, yeah. Oh. That said, even though that effect was really cheesy, I thought the people who did the effects work on it did a very good oh, job. I actually thought it totally of, worked. Of picking the right clips from yes, Frank Silva's performance definitely, and definitely. actually putting them in. It was mm-hmm. cheesy as all heck. But, actually, like, yeah. it, it, I would not have, had I not been told that Frank Silva wasn't yes. alive, I would have just thought, wow, he didn't age and they really got stuff yeah. that felt like Bob. Even though I, I felt and it's the like, exact same they, way. they chose to use it in a weird way. Yes. But it, it, that also might have, the insanity of all of that might have been them deciding getting Frank Silva on screen as Bob was so important that they had to put him inside a weird distorted thing that would help hide his aesthetic. Like the, just the the cheesiness of that stone ball probably mm-hmm. partly was there just to allow to sure, allow to, for, to hide cuts the right and to, set of yeah. expectations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I will. I definitely felt that all in all, all of the choices made there actually successfully resulted in me not sitting around thinking, oh, it's a bummer that they didn't have Frank Silva. It ended up feeling so much like a series of intentional choices that it successfully distracted me from the fact that it was, at least in part, a necessity, like a sort of set of constraints due to necessity. And that's, I mean, that's about as good as you can hope for, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right. So, yes, in in the aftermath, we get this sort of heartwarming... Well, well, Cooper puts the puts the ring on Bad Coop, which we've now seen this happen. Um, we sort of know what this means. He he fades away, and the ring falls to the ground. And then, yeah, um, uh, one of the Mitchums says, "It's one for the grandkids." One for the grandkids. Yeah, the only Mitchums line in this episode, but at least it was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper gets the hotel room key. Sees Nido is like very struck by her. He clearly recognizes something, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Um, that's the point, I believe, at which Cooper's face superimposes like, becomes over. superimposed on the screen for much of the, a lot of the rest of the episode. I th- yeah, I th- it's at least at least up until he up until they uh, start heading down the hallway into the door. Mm-hmm. Yep, which I don't know the meaning of that face, but man, does that add? I loved it. I don't know the meaning of it either, but I thought it was amazing. It adds such a good layer. 
to sort of the artificial feeling of this resolution. It almost felt yes. to me yes. like yes. this is a, this was a weird read to me, but I felt like it was Cooper's reflection in a TV screen watching all of this happen. Oh, interesting. Like, I don't know what that would mean, but or I mean, you know, another Cooper from another time or place maybe was watching it. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, just yeah. no matter what, just see, being able to always have an outside perspective mm-hmm. over the entire thing watching it made me sort of question all of it and it made it, it it it's not that it robbed me of having the emotional gratification of it but it made me always sort of gut check every feeling yes. that I had and every development that it I had keeps because you from being totally credulous of everything that's just happened yes I I mean I I think this is really important in the context of us talking about that whole final battle scene existing in this super pumped up vibrant version of Twin Peaks that we really haven't seen very much this season at all uh, I think that's really important because the superimposed Cooper face is very much in the style of Twin Peaks The Return, in which every single episode begins with a superimposed Laura face mm-hmm. over the opening credit sequence. It's this hazy um, vision of the echoes of the past, constant, like sort of overseeing everything, you know, right. and, and casting doubt onto everything. Right. What and, does this mean? Is this actually good? Yeah. You know, should this be happening? What does it actually, yeah. what does it actually have to do t- with the people that are involved yes. in it? And then, and then even on a, a, a more general level, it just cast a sense of uh, melancholy and, and um, doubt and, and ambiguity over the whole thing, which uh, I, I thought it was an amazing choice. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was a, just the exact kind of choice that is like, this is why this is why I come to David Lynch, right? Is for this, these weird intuitive choices that they maybe, there maybe is an explicit plot explanation for that, but there absolutely doesn't need to be for it to be meaningful and, and, and coherent and and powerful. Um, So anyway, uh, Cooper says, now there are some things that will change. The past dictates the future, which is an interesting, oh, also Bobby arrives uh, Cole arrives, people arrive. The, I just wanted to mention when Cooper's saying, now there's some things that will change, the past dictates the future, because that seems very much, I mean, that's obviously thematically an incredibly important, I guess, almost thesis of Twin Peaks, both the original run and this season. But interest to me, interestingly, Cooper almost, it seems like he almost ignores his own observation. Or I mean, or he says, he sort of, Therefore, my next Therefore, problem. Therefore, if I to change solve, the past, yeah. it will dictate the future, which maybe seems like a misreading of his own. Like it seems like he maybe reads his own correct observation in a way that is not workable. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, maybe not. But that, it, but that it, was definitely my feeling yeah. over uh, as this stuff goes. The past dictates the future. A uh, good response to that is delivered, which is it's a good thing we made so many sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. In the past. <laughs> they made that choice in the past, and it dictates the future, a future in which everybody has a sandwich. Everybody's got at least one sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so Cooper and... So, well, yeah, Frank and regards to, to uh, Harry. Cooper and Nido touch hands. All kinds of stuff happens to her face. There are weird effects. The face there sort of is cleaved the, open. The face opens to reveal... The red room then fades yeah. into being in the red room. Yeah, and then, uh, then turns into an orb in the red room, and then a different Diane appears. And th- but this version of Diane 
Her bright red hair. Her costume is entirely red room themed. It seems like because she has bright red hair. Her shirt uh, and sweater are red, white, and black, and she has black and white alternating yep. fingernails. Like uh-huh. I don't know, and and her face seems a little bit more pale and has really a di- even more aggressive uh, like eyeliner around her eyes. Yeah. I don't know what any of that means, but it, no. And we also don't know. You know, we also don't really know because of what happened to the Diane that we did know throughout this season. Like we we don't know which costume is more appropriate to the Diane that Cooper right. or, would have known or either of them decades maybe. ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, or or neither. Yeah, we don't. We just don't know because. But this seems yeah. like a this seems much like when Cooper finally walked out of the out of the lodge. It seemed like our old friend Dale Cooper, but he suddenly was infused with a huge amount of knowledge and purpose. We don't. This Diane, you know, doesn't seem infused with purpose, but she seems like Cooper, like she came out into this space having a lot of cogent knowledge of whatever yeah. her time was in there yeah. and seems to understand things that, that and we seems don't. To be, yeah, and it seems to be forthcoming and personable in a way that she was not before. Yeah, well, when she when she was a fake person. When she was a Tulpa, yeah. I mean, her first the first thing she says is, Coop, Cooper, the one and only, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, do, he you says remember, do you remember everything? Yes. Yeah, which, and that was a, I wasn't sure what to make of that. Because the things that we have heard Diane remember before are pretty dark, and so we don't. But we don't know if if that if Diane has this Diane even experienced those things. So I think she, she says, did. I think she did. If if we take the words of Tulpa Diane literally, it was what she was visited by who she thought was Cooper turned yeah. out to be bad Cooper. Yeah, he raped her, then led her to the gas station. Yeah, or to the convenience store. Mm. And she was stuck there. Then seems to have created the fake version of her. Mm, so like that's that, probably the, right. some of that's like the last right. experiences in normal Diane's life before being yeah. put, before being trapped for like twenty three years or twenty two years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that night with who she believed to be Cooper? No, that totally makes sense. And which is what I that was my instinct. But it makes that it makes this scene where he says, "Do you remember everything?" and she says, "Yes," kind of weird because of the tone. That's playing over the scene, right? I mean, part of what I guess he's asking about is, do you remember some really terrible things yeah, that I, happened to you? I, the thing that I read out of this, which might have been taking things on faith, was that he's asking her if you remember that, and then by everything, also just, are you aware of yeah, the that time that, was... that we the time that we spent together, also in this weird lodge? Like, because if Diane is Nido, then then Nido is also the person who recognized Coop. That's true. Helped, fr- tried freaked to help out him. at him, yeah, helped yeah, him yeah. escape. Like, they both went through some weird tormenting experiences together in a sort of off-axis yeah. way inside of the lodge. So. And could also be sort of the implication of, do you remember everything, could also be, do you understand everything and know that right. what happened was some alternate person I, or reality? Yeah, or I think yeah. that becomes helpful in maybe in understanding some of the stuff uh, they do in episode, episode 18. 18. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, and, that, and then at, at, the, at that point, that's when we see the clock stuck at 253. That's when the Cooper superimposed face says we live inside a dream. Yeah. And then that's when Cooper says, I hope, I to, hope see to see you all again. I hope to see you all again, every yeah. one of you. Yeah. Uh, then the lights, the lighting goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, ominous lights and sounds start. Uh, Coop, sh- Coop yells Gordon and Gordon yells Coop. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was surprisingly touching. Yeah, it was given great. that that's like the, that's basically the only things they actually they get to exchange with each other is a, a yell of alarm. Yeah, and I wasn't sure what the heck was happening next because it all goes to black, and then we see Gordon, Diane, and Cooper walking in blackness. It feels like they're walking through a non-existent space, but mm-hmm. then it sort of fades up to reveal that they're 
in the basement of the Great Northern, which yeah. is just the, still a place in Twin Peaks. Um, it was a very s- s- stylish way to get there, and I'm not sure what the meaning of it was. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I liked it, though. It was the most David Lynch aesthetic, like, magazine shoot moment of all time yes. of David Lynch, Laura Dern, and Kyle MacLachlan dressed in super iconic clothes, uh-huh. walking through a black hallway together. Yep. Uh did they use that at all? Probably I not. I don't know. It would have been a crazy spoiler. They didn't. But there's yeah. a there's a shot in here of Cooper walking up in the darkness that was used yes, in the marketing that, through uh, all of the se- constantly. And yeah. it's finally seeing when it I saw not- it, it was weird. It felt like there it is. There's that shot. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a great shot for this moment. But yeah, I've been super super saturated with it mm-hmm. in the marketing. Yeah. So anyway, he said uh, Cooper uh, says I'm going through this door. Don't try to follow me, either of you. Gordon says, be thinking of you, Coop. Cooper says, see you at the curtain call. When I watched this episode once, I thought he was talking to both of them. But on second viewing, I think it was very clear that he was looking straight at Diane only when he says that. And that makes Mm -hmm. sense because Diane is the person who he meets up with only when he comes out of the curtain in 18. Yeah. Yep. Um, It's funny that the room key door to his hotel room unlocks this random door in the basement. But whatever. Yeah. yeah, My my happens. (laughs) <laughs> my my Mark Frost brain declares that the Great Northern just reused some old hotel doors at one point, and it was a complete <laughs> coincidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. We get Mike oh, we get, reading that poem. We get the only time that that actor is allowed to speak forward in all of season three, and it's... I was, I, it was so cool, I thought. Yeah, I loved it. Like... That guy, that guy is like gravelly, gravitas-filled uh, mm-hmm. performance... It was the perfect thing to have happen at this moment. Also, um, not even also, but the Fire Walk With Me poem, the notion of their, of of two worlds felt like it meant something completely different to me this time. Like every time that poem shows up in Twin Peaks, I feel like you see it, it's used in a different angle and different parts of it have different meanings. But the notion, the, the notion of, of two worlds used to feel to me like, oh, there's the red room and then there's real life, but now it feels like yes, there are it's talking about two, the fact that there might be just yeah. multiple versions of, of reality, or mm-hmm. it, it spoke to sort of, yeah, either literally I mean, it makes world it, and mirror yeah. world, or sort of this, the, the cycle, or like just not, you know. Yeah, it's like the, 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 to the extent that the Red Room is one of the sort of, or lodges or whatever, those are like the places between two worlds, yeah. but, the, but the two worlds can be two, like, realities as we understand yeah. them to be on earth or whatever or whatever or, you know yeah yeah <laughs> also that poem is so good yeah it's so good and powerful that and the um i, I know that we didn't it's, it wasn't recapitulated in any way in these episodes but the uh woodsman's um monologue in uh part eight oh um, the, this is the water this is the yeah. well talk yeah those are just those those two, I mean, you know, from classic Twin Peaks and then from Twin Peaks The Return are such amazing, evocative collections of words. I just think they're incredible. Yeah. I, I just love them so much. And so having Mike having Mike show up get and to drop that this at one like the linchpin of the finale. Yeah. F- so good. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Well. Um, oh, yeah. And Co- so Cooper and Mike then get to walk down the hallway uh, in the sort of convenience store area that we saw Bad Coop 
walked down before. It's also the same place that Gordon got that glimpse of in that in the <coughs> vortex by, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, what's her name? Davenport's body. Mm-hmm. Crucial plot thread. Mm-hmm. But I mean the the shot walking down the hallway with the oh with the forest with kind the of forest superimposed on, top of it. on the yeah, hallway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he made the same journey to see Philip Jeffries. Yep, yep, yep. He says Philip. Philip says be specific. Uh, Cooper says the date February twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. Philip says I'll find it for you. It's slippery in here. It's good to see you again, Cooper. Say hello to Gordon. He'll remember the unofficial version. This is where you'll find Judy. And then he says, there may be someone, did you ask me this? Yeah. That was very, the, the end of that was very strange. Yes. Yeah. But um, it's it's a confirmation here that <clears throat> Cooper seems to be looking to find Judy, which mm-hmm. ties into that retconned information that Gordon dropped at the beginning of this episode that all along maybe, whatever, but... Um, I mean, and previously, you know, prior prior to this season, the only mention of Judy was Philip Jeffries. Yes, he, sort of ranting in that scene in, that we uh, saw uh, replayed earlier in Gordon's dream. Right. Yeah, where he shows up in the office and screams about Judy. Mm-hmm. Also, a monkey says the word Judy in Firewalk. Oh, that's with me. true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, a monkey says something. <laughs> um, the so the things that really struck me here are one. Do, what do we think Philip Jeffries assumes about Bad Coop versus Cooper? Does he understand? I mean, like, I'm not did sure. Did he take Bad Coop um, at face value in terms of believing him to be Cooper? Does he? I mean, when he says it's good to see you again, Cooper, does he mean like like good this to see Cooper you again, or literally like the just, real Cooper or any Cooper or good to see? Any Cooper again? I by the way, the other one was here very recently. Yeah, it's hard to know. Also, does it even mean? Does recently mean anything for someone like Philip Jeffries, who seems to exist <laughs> who, totally outside of time? Yeah, Jeffries has clearly just sort of ascended into being yeah. one of these strange inhabitants, creatures. inhabitants, of the lodges, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I, it's hard to know because yeah, when he saw when and he, he says saw, it's slippery in here, which I I sort of took to mean chronologically, right? Yeah. Because he seemed slightly confused by Bad Coop and said, oh, yeah. so you are Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to know. Yeah. Uh, also saying, say hello to Gordon. He'll remember the unofficial version. It seems really significant mm-hmm. in the context of especially part 18 in which Cooper attempts to literally rewrite the events of Twin Peaks. Um Right. And seems to aggressively fail at it, but yeah. But nonetheless, Jeffrey's referring to an unofficial version of what I don't know. I guess of events, presumably. Right. We've also seen Gordon have. We've also seen Gordon have memories of Jeffrey's that kind of got paved over and turned into yeah. a dream, and then he had to dig yeah. them back out of his own consciousness. Yeah. Also but true. It's yeah. It's hard to know if Jeffrey's is referring to that sort of thing or to looking forward. But yeah, the the notion of of existence being malleable and plastic seems no matter what to be what he's referring to yeah uh we also don't know when he said this is where you'll find judy i mean obviously we can talk about this in part 18 but when he gets there he sees judy's diner um when he's when he's driving along after the uh weird diane encounter that's so much later than the thing he's asking jeffries to do though because he's asking jeffries basically send me back to the night of laura palmer's murder that's true that's true it's hard so it's hard it's hard to know yeah, what all of those things 
add up to because it seems like yeah, ultimately true. in 18, Cooper's expecting that when he and Diane drive past the electrical wire. That could be related to why he says, what year is this? Yeah. But he, uh, it's, yeah. Because he, he ends up in 89, then ends up coming back out of the lodge. Sorry to jump way ahead. Yeah, I'm no, just trying no, to work no, all this out in the context about, yeah. of the Jeffrey stuff. He yeah. comes he comes out of Glossenberry Grove. He and Diane get in a car, drive away, pass that power line at a certain threshold, and then everything changes. But yeah. it's 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 hard for me to track if Cooper himself has changed before that. Like if Cooper comes out slightly different and then the right. world changes after they sort of go through some weird gateway. Like being at a specific place, being at a specific time, being near electricity, all in Twin Peaks seems to yeah. sort of let you walk between worlds or sort of do, lets you sort of escape your own reality in some way. Yeah. But then even at that point, not everything changes because then they go to that hotel. Yeah. And then it's not until he wakes up the next morning that Things the hotel change has changed more. and his yeah. name has changed totally and his car yeah. has changed. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And get more into that stuff later. One but. can only assume that Jeffries is referring to one of these things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we get the uh, classic owl logo. Yeah. Popping up, which which transfers transforms into either an eight or an infinity sign. I guess it seems. I mean, it it could be both, but it seems very much like you see that little the little ball, little ball rolling through it. the infinity yeah. sign, and the infinity sign also rotates and at one point becomes a linear line, mm-hmm. and then rotates back out and becomes an infinity symbol, which seemed to be saying what a lot of Twin Peaks, especially season three, seems to be saying about either cycles of abuse or cycles of sort of self-created situations that we as humans get into and potentially being unable to break that cycle. And I liked the way that it turned to the side and became a line, which I read as maybe like either the way that you as a human perceive it or like the line of one, uh, one life on sort of the cycle of, of infinity. It all, it all, that little moment was something I was thinking about a lot when Cooper was insistently dragging this other woman who wasn't Laura Palmer into into mm-hmm. Laura Palmer's life in episode 18 of just like, dude, you're not you're yeah. not helping at this point probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like Cooper is maybe given a lot of hints that what he's messing with is bigger than him and and or not possible to be fixed and he just keeps pushing through barrier after barrier. I mean, on that note, uh, Jeffrey says there it is. You can go in now. Cooper, remember, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, unless I missed something, we don't know exactly what he's telling him to remember. But yeah, I don't given, know. Given how much Cooper, pl- as you, to your point, how much Cooper plunges into his goal, it's. Pr- I think it's easy to take Jeffrey saying Cooper, remember, as a warning about all of this. Yep. You know. St- Although on a, on a cheesy plot level, it could just be that Mike literally says electricity, says electricity after, after that, after, which is yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. go to where the big fucking power yeah, line that's is. Also, <laughs> that's also very possible. But yeah. it, it could also mean either or both of those things. Yeah. Uh, we get a brief ceiling fan after that. Oh, you see Cooper's face. Yeah. And then you hear the... And then, yeah, we cut to the actual fan because we're suddenly in Fire Walk With Me. I did not expect basically Back to the Future 2 to happen inside of Twin Peaks. It's so crazy that you haven't seen Back to the Future 2. The end of Back to the Future 2 is them deciding that uh, because if something bad goes wrong in time, they have to go back to Back to the Future One, and then they keep cross-cutting uh. Marty McFly inside of like the the the, the climactic moments of Back to the Future One in the fifties. Mm-hmm. So, so weird that you haven't seen Back to the Future Two. Sorry. 
Sorry, that seems relevant. Sorry that I, I don't have anything to say about it's it. It's okay. Um, so yeah, we see Leland watch Laura and James leave from Firewalk With Me. And then Cooper sort of like blips in. In the same way that he sort of glitched out of, yeah. the, of the very first scene that he had with the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he sort of blips in. Yeah. This stuff, again, the same way when Firewalk With Me got reinserted into the Monica Bellucci dream where we just cut from from mm-hmm. one scene to the other. Mm-hmm. The way that this all played out was so seamless that it was actually again like I went it was very <gasps> impressive. I yeah, I I gasped when when I saw the the clip of Laura and James on the motorcycle leaving the house. Like that seems like it's from Firewalk with me. Then that cl- intense close up of Leland looking out through the window. Was, I was just yeah, like, "Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. Okay, we're really yeah. going for this." Yeah. deep and then yeah when cooper showed up i was less shocked by that but it because right. it was kind of goofy yeah i also don't know entirely what to think about laura palmer's like seeing him her, yeah her scream she she has that intense reaction in fire walk with me like that scream is in that movie right but we don't know why and it's like did she sense something in the woods yeah. is she just on drugs because she's an emotional wreck mm-hmm. for the same reasons that we see in this scene where she like starts talking about mike killed a guy then goes a <laughs> bobby bobby, ki- bobby killed a guy and then like has that like dismissive like teen eye roll at her own thought even right. and like trying to literally but, I mean that's after she screams yeah and that's what I mean I mean Cooper. I mean in fire walk with me she's just this like yeah just outrageous up and down of 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 emotions and sort of interior turmoil so to just so to imply maybe she's what she saw was Dale Cooper a little bit cheesy but it was still such a seamless insertion into that yeah. scene that I like I liked watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't know if I liked the the implications of it. I don't know what the implications are really. Um I mean just from a cheesy plot level like, right, oh, like Laura oh, Palmer saw the man screaming. from her yeah, dream not, suddenly in the yeah. woods and screamed. Yeah. Whether or not she literally, I, literally can even see him, I don't know. Right. You know? Well yeah, I mean I don't know that it's possible to even make that declaration about because before watching episode before watching part eighteen, I think you could see this and say, oh, that's what she was screaming at in this like classic kind of time travel way right. where once you go back to the past, that has always happened. Sure. But I think after watching part 18, it's not necessarily clear that that's true. Like it can simultaneously be true, I think, in the reality suggested by these episodes that like there is a reality in which she sees Agent Cooper and screams but there is also an equally true reality yeah. in which something entirely different causes. That's fair enough. Scream. I mean, just in this version of the story, that's what happened. Yeah, but it's yeah, not yeah. trying. It, you, you don't have to be a big dork and say that it retroactively changes Firewalk. Right. It's not want. like if you watch. Yeah, if you watch that movie, it's not necessarily true that yeah. at that moment Cooper's hiding in the bushes. Yeah. But, Although, again, it, it was similar to Cooper's face being superimposed over the earlier stuff. It was interesting to watch this stuff play out from basically a different specific perspective. I agree, but I just mean... We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to go beat by beat. But the thing I did want to mention is when she says, open your eyes, James, you don't know me. There are things about me. Even Donna doesn't know me. Your Laura isn't here. It's just me now. That always, I think, made intuitive sense in terms of, especially by by the time we get to Firewalk with me, what is being suggested about the conflict and darkness that Laura contained within her 
um, but definitely takes on all kinds of additional potential meaning now. Either either from that, a linear plot way or just like from an in, even from an intuitive or emotional sense, like it feels like it's just depths deeper as a line than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, yeah, and especially now that like even more characters have other versions of themselves, have things living inside of them. I mean, there's I mean, just right. the world of Twin Peaks consists even more than ever before yeah. of th- things inside of people. Like, not just like emotions inside of people, but actual like spirits and weird cons, like right. things living in people. Which, which are still often represent representative of the thing that Laurel was always figuratively talking about, potentially. Yeah. Uh, before we move too far, we have to briefly mention that fucking Leo shows up on camera. Yeah, uh, sorry, Leo made it. Uh, yeah, Laura He's credited. In Laura, the Laura, James write off, and then we are uh, shown. <laughs> we get Leo and that girl who I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, I guess, I guess there's, there's, there's more to talk about. Oh no, there's not. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, just and bef- Jacques Renault. Before, yeah, before we go too far, well, your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. She flips him off. Oh. The stoplight, yeah. The stoplight was that literally the same stoplight from Firewalk with I'm me? I'm not sure. It looked like it looked like one from the '50s, and it made me think of the aesthetic of those mm. two kids walking home in the '50s. Mm. Also, this is this is another black and white couple that we're seeing uh, together. It's true, yeah. And it's I true. don't know what it means again, but just sort of that repetition of of things in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Laura's or Leah's there. Renette's there. Oh, that was Renette, right? I forgot. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Jacques is there. That's all. Yeah. Just so glad that we got a tiny sliver of Eric DeRay, even if it's reused. Yeah. So anyway, at that point, Cooper and, and Laura actually meet. Yes. And and the yeah. way that this was built is very strange because it seems like it's old Cheryl Lee dressed in a teenage Laura costume, maybe with yeah. computer, with current, computer current de-aging. Cheryl Lee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazingly, Twin Peaks has now had a scene filmed in the 90s in which Cooper is made old and a scene filmed in the 2010s in which uh, Laura is made young. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've seen you in a dream, she says. In a dream, in a dream. Which, I don't know if that means in is a it, nested is dream it nested or, or is it just repeating. sort of thinking yeah, to herself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. Cooper puts out his hand and Laura walks up to it. Yep. Uh, we see Laura wrapped in plastic as the music hits its like classic crescendo, and then uh, the body disappears. That was so intense. I did not know quite what I, I always say. I didn't know what to do with myself, but I didn't. When I when yeah. I I couldn't believe that they were going to cut to I, that footage, and yeah. then that they were going to literally show Laura Palmer's body disappear. I, know, I couldn't believe it. Either. I I, was, I, I, I just, just did not know what to. Yeah, think. seeing yeah. seeing. Cooper holding Laura by the hand, pulling her away from her end, and then watching them actually do this. Yeah, then then it cuts to color after Laura fades away. Where are we going? Cooper says we're going home. And then they start as they start to leave, the camera just cuts to a shot of just like wood planks yeah. and pans over to see Josie Packard I know, look, doing that, like checking her makeup in yeah. the mirror and I it just what? Yeah. What? I know. Oh my, my goodness. Yep. <laughs> And then it cuts to fucking Pete, Pete yeah. and Catherine. I mean, it's just that stuff. Yeah, I know. But I just, I, yeah. every time that it just kept going. I know, I know. It was still shocking each time because it took, it took me a few brain cycles to register. Oh, right. This is just exactly how the pilot opens. I was like, are they just, because they've been inserting footage yeah. from, you know, archival footage. And so I'm like, oh, are they going to use this for something? And they, they do. But it was also, but it's not like Josie specifically right. had any meaning. It was just, this is how yeah. the story But it was just began. arresting to see yeah. her show up and remember, yeah, wow, this is what the world was yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. And those colors. Yeah. 
and then just Pete Pete walking that uh, that iconic shot of just the huge log with the shore lapping up against it and seeing Pete seeing it down in the corner of that composition as Pete just walks yep. past it yep. and then you see Pete casting just, a line out out into the sea or into the lake I guess even though that scene obviously is new and like it didn't quite match perfectly it didn't matter I was just mm-hmm. I, I was, bought it I totally bought I it I bought it and I was pretty messed up by watching all of that stuff happen mm-hmm. and then we cut to the Palmer house yeah uh, God I'm just like getting like goosebumps <laughs> like thinking about this because it's so I hadn't noticed until this shot of the Palmer house how much like depressing continuity there is between it and um, the Palmer house as we saw it in Firewalk with me in Twin mm. Peaks like in this might I don't know if the shot was ever framed like this before but in the foreground you can see the end table next to the couch with the little doily and the shitty brass lamp and the cigarette ashtray and Laura Palmer's photo like it looked like Sarah Palmer had just not moved any of that stuff or cleaned right. it entropy just in 25 years rained. like it was it looked it was the exact thing that i remembered and it probably it, this might have been the first time we've seen it because it was actually secretly the focus of the shot you know you mm-hmm. have the same couch and the booze and the tv that we've seen sarah at for all of this time and you hear the the really distressing noises of it seems like maybe it's her talking to herself for on for a long time until she comes in and grabs the photo off of the off of the table for what might be the first time in decades yeah and just smashes the glass yeah beating it over and over again into the ground yeah what do you make of this i don't know i mean i don't know the a so i mean it's it, it felt part of me thought like if laura has been removed from the world mm-hmm. but sarah is still like this like I felt like maybe there was just some incredible. What do you mean if Laura has been removed from the I world? I mean, Cooper literally just pulls Laura out, and we don't know what that means at this moment, right? right? It's not. Is, is it that she doesn't see, get you, killed, or that she was never there to right, begin you with? You see her body disappear, and yeah. then Pete just walks by because there isn't a Laura. Yeah. But then you see Sarah Palmer still in that house, not with affected in the same way as the Pete shot. She still has the portrait. She's right. more distraught than she's ever I mean, been. That's Twenty-five years later. Yeah, and it yeah. feels like how those connect. Do yeah. they connect? Unknown. She seems just like, yeah. Her brain is like eating itself alive at that yeah. moment. The way that she's reacting. So there's a f- yeah. There's a few things, right? There's does Laura exist but not get killed, or does Laura literally never exist in that world? What do either of those things mean? What do they mean for Sarah Palmer? Or like, do those worlds are those actually totally separate existences? And right. like the Twin Peaks right. that we know, the Twin Peaks that Cooper creates by pulling Laura out, are those like now? Parallel existences of people going through completely different emotional yeah. cycles. Right. I mean, the one the world we see in which like the, the scene we see in which Sarah Palmer stabs the photograph, clearly Laura existed in that yes. continuity because her photograph is there. But she existed and, and that photo of her was taken before well before she was killed. That was presumably her. I know. I thought yeah. you were suggesting maybe when he pulls her away, she doesn't Maybe she just she disappears. Oh, I meant like I mean maybe she's gone from with. that point on. Like maybe she just disappears. Mm. I, like, I don't think. Oh, could, she just disappears off the face of the earth without yeah. getting killed. But yeah, but then what? She, what what's the, what healthy life is that character going to like? We see yeah, Cooper no, escort her out of the woods, and then so maybe she has disappeared. In yeah, the, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, no, get, I don't know anything. Um, one thing that has been that has been speculated it, is it, that Sarah contains Judy. Uh huh. Um, is that Sarah is the girl in part eight who uh, who's a who mouth has the is entered by the bug? Yeah, the bug walks into her mouth. Yeah, maybe. and one of the I think one of the p- 
pieces of evidence people used for that is that when her face opens and she uh, destroys the guy in the bar, there are sort of tentacles Right, and people people notice that the bug has the little sort of pointed nose that the that the jumping man mask figure has, and mm. that also is the face that you see Sarah Palmer's face briefly transposed right, on in an right, episode. Right, right. So there's little sort of tiny tendrils that that connect that stuff together. Mm. Again, not sure what that that, really, that that makes me feel real bummed yeah, about what it I, means for Sarah Palmer as a character retroactively. I, I agree, but I, I kind of have yeah. to take it in the same way that you're that you're proposing Cooper showing up inside of Fire Walk with me is like maybe this is a thing that is laid in now in continuity and is just there for the purposes of this storyline yeah. and I have to not make myself try right. to re-implant right. that knowledge into the yeah, old stuff. I don't stuff. know that it's possible for me to reconcile that yeah. directly with Sarah Palmer as a character throughout Twin Peaks seasons one and two and Firewalk with me. Yeah. I think it it, just, it means basically nothing at that point unless there's some realm of understanding that I have yet to ascend to which is entirely possible. So we get Cooper leading Laura Again, mm-hmm. we see the arm tree. Uh, the sound fades out. We get that really distinctive scratching noise. The one that the giant, the fireman plays, says, listen to the sound. And he, that's the sound that you hear in the record player at the beginning that like. Yeah, it's almost like insects or something. Yeah, and it's like scratching it's, on stone. It's shown up a few other times in the season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that happens. Laura disappears. And screams. Yeah, Cooper stops. Yeah, Laura screams. Uh, we get a long shot of the forest, and then Julie Cruz um, fades in on top of that. Yep. Mo- modern day Julie Cruz. It was so rad to hear a Julie Cruz yeah. song play at the end of this. Yeah. And then I was really annoyed that after all of the times that Lynch has lingered uh, on Roadhouse scenes, that this one got credits over it. And it turns out Julie Cruz is pissed about yeah. that. Yeah. But. I was actually really sad that we didn't get to linger inside of that Julie Cruz song for longer because yeah. it felt so right. The same way as Mike showing up at the exact right time to deliver the Fire Walk With Me poem, Cooper trying this and then it seemingly not working and him like in the woods alone completely baffled and suffering that extreme loss. Then having that Julie Cruz song showed up was like, that was exactly correct to what, you know, mm-hmm. it just felt so right. And then I was really annoyed when it said starring Kyle McLaughlin <laughs> over the top of it. But whatever. That, that actually didn't occur to me at the time. I've seen a bunch of people say that. And I've I've now since seen Julie Cruz's comments. I Julie Cruz seems real put seems out. really angry. Yeah. I, at the time, I, it didn't occur to me. But I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. But it also, at the same time, the entire credit sequence is that Julie Cruz song. And it's a beautiful new performance of that same song. It's mm-hmm. like it was great to hear it back. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then the episode was dedicated to Jack Nance. Yep. Pete Martell. Uh, well, that's Twin Peaks, The Return, Part <laughs> 17. This went w- much longer than anticipated. <laughs> we still have an entire additional episode to yeah. talk about. Uh, all right. Well, th- uh, <laughs> all right, well, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch for uh, Part 17 of Twin Peaks, The Return. We are going to... Uh, as soon as we can, sit right back down and record another episode for part 18, the finale, and um, just go right on ahead and keep listening to that next episode in your podcast listener of choice. Yep. We'll see you in a few minutes. We'll see you in a few minutes. Fraddle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye. Bye.